Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Come and show me the magic Can I take you out to the picture? Well, I hope you'll come and see me in the movies What a scene Of your Hollywood song Hello and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast I'm Matt Looker I'm Ed Williamson We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans And each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles this week, that film is 1973's That'll Be The Day, a precursor to the later, more well-known sequel Stardust, starring David Essex as rebellious Jim McLean, ditching school and running away to live a life as an alienated, womanising young man working menial jobs and hurting those around him, all because, spoiler alert, his daddy didn't love him. But throughout all of that, he occasionally visits his very good friend, Mike, who just so happens to be played by Ringo Starr. I guess first question, Ed, about Ringo Starr and this film. It's a it's a bold, interesting choice for Ringo to be playing this character, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, you could say that. I think um, Mike is on the surface of it, maybe not not a very nice guy. Uh, he's a bit of a womanizer, or at least he's you know he makes a lot of big claims about being a womanizer. He doesn't talk about women in the most uh, positive way. But I suppose also it's it, it's worthwhile setting this in context of 1973. Uh, the way he spoke then would not have been particularly shocking to most audiences, I think. Although, like, I do think this is probably a film that shows a bit more, uh, it's a bit more graphic in its depictions of sex and things like that than you'd expect mm. from uh, the sort of thing that would be made, uh, that would have been made a few years ago, you know. It's not it's not summer holiday, for sure. You know? <laughs> summer holiday's a great comparison. <laughs> I just, I think I find it hard to reconcile, like, Ringo Starr, who not that long before was known to be a part of obviously the biggest band ever but you know be part of 
grandiose projects like Sgt. Pepper and, you know, Magical Mystery Tour and the the whole image that comes along with the, the Beatles as part of that. And this mm. is him playing a character that, that yes, is, is a bit more gritty, but just a bit more grounded as well. Like, you know, he's not, he's not, he's really not Ringo Starr and the Beatles here. This is, this is him really playing a very believable, sort of rebellious young man. Yeah. Um, and I just, I can't wrap my head around this happens after the entire career of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think there's an earthiness to Ringo and there always was. And I think that has always been part of his appeal. You know, part of the reason that everyone loves Ringo is he was sort of the, he was sort of the Beatles Greek chorus in a way. He's he was the the Tim from the office of, of the Beatles in that, you know, all this mad stuff is going on around you and all these geniuses are doing these amazing things. And and Ringo, you know, as a, a brilliant a drummer as he is, he's not a genius and would not claim to be. And so there's always a lot of value in just having him there because he he's the guy you can relate to, you know, when you know he's um when Tim from the office does those little looks to camera yeah you know yeah, yeah. he's uh <laughs> he's he's the audience he's the audience surrogate yeah. sorry that's a better term than greek greek chorus that. he's yeah. not really the greek chorus is he although although he did go to greece and write octopus's garden there so that works that's fine <laughs> <laughs> and and the octopus garden specifically he wrote the chorus to that song as well he, he did he did you're, right. <laughs> you're absolutely right that's where i was going with it you're absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he's but, but he's guess, the audience surrogate. But, well. but what's what's? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what's interesting to me is that it's not it's not a, a showy role. Yeah, like he's playing. He's not he's not the main character, obviously by a long shot. But he's also not even a supporting character that's in the film all the way through. No, he's probably in the the main meat of the film, the most like the the middle section where yeah. he really gets to grips with. Jim McLean, the, the main character, yeah. uh, what he's like. But you, you expect anyone coming off the Beatles to be to be playing the Jim McLean role if he's going to go down that route of making a film like this or mm. or to have a sort of a starrier presence in the film. Yeah. Um, but he really doesn't. Like, he, he, it could be. I, I, I don't mean this is a commentary on his performance because I think his performance is brilliant in yeah. the film, but it is a role that could be someone else's playing that that didn't just have come off the back of being one of the most famous people in the world yeah true but but i think you know if you think back to the the roles that that one one implored it's if you like you know so like a hard day's night and help everyone recognizes that he's the best actor in the beatles and that's because he he's the one with the sort of most naturalistic acting style that he wasn't being starry in any of those. You could see that there was a groundedness to him. Mm. That and and so it, that that's partly the way he acts, and it's partly your kind of understanding of his persona and how he uh, how he relates to the rest of the Beatles, as I say. Um, so yeah, it, it it makes sense. But you think of him in, in the Magic Christian as well. I mean, that is, you know, we spoke about the fact that that is a role that doesn't really have any narrative reason to even exist. You know, you could cut him out of the whole thing, and the and the whole thing would still still broadly work you know um they aren't things he, he's not really taking on roles that are uh, that rely on someone with sort of great charisma you know and actually like it you know that's that's really to his credit as well i think you know he's like quite i, I like the idea that there is you know something in him that associates much more 
with you know a fairly simple guy who works at Butlins and <laughs> yeah. um, you know and tries to get laid whenever he can. I, ca- I can't see him playing Flash Gordon or something like that. You know, although <laughs> no, no, no. that would be brilliant, That'd obviously. Be <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I also I, I hear what you're saying about Ringo being um, sort of the standout act of the group. Mm. Um, not to overrate the same point, but I still can't reconcile Ringo in this film with Ringo in, say, Help, which we covered relatively recently. Mm. It's just a completely different person on screen. Yeah, like, and and I think that's probably to his credit in that. In Help, he was playing the part of a Beatle, yeah. essentially. But this, he, he really does feel like he's inhabiting the character that he's portraying in this film in a very realistic way. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think this is the first time I've really got a true sense of just how great an actor he was during this period. Because mm. I, I don't get the impression that I'm watching a Beatle at all in the whole film, which I know is the point. But like you just don't expect that. In the same way that when you watch Tom Cruise in a film, you expect to always be thinking, "This is Tom Cruise." Yeah, of course. I expect to watch a Ringo Starr film and always be thinking, "I'm watching Ringo Starr right now." And and I really didn't at all. No, I agree. I th- I think we we spoke a bit in uh, when we were talking about him in the Magic Christian that he he kind of suffered a bit through not having the other Beatles around him, mm. not having them to bounce off because they have such a natural rapport and shared sense of humour that without them, he you know sort of. It felt kind of slight, slightly naked in a way, you know, uh, and um, didn't have them to bounce off. Here, I think he really thrives in their absence. I suppose, you know, if you think in context, 1973. So this was before David Essex got stupid famous. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is, the, I think so this. The start of his sort of pop career. Yeah. So his big hit, uh, Rock On, isn't it? I think came, came right, out yeah. this year after this film. So 1973 right. is the year he took off. And so I guess. 74 when Stardust comes out that is much more of a David Essex star vehicle Definitely. I think so maybe some people I know he'd done some West End musicals and stuff like that but broadly speaking this film in terms of its cast is is more being sold on Ringo than anyone else I'm sure you know? yeah yeah you're and, right yeah and and as you say like he is uh he's you know he's he, he probably second male lead I guess just about even though he's not in the whole thing uh, yeah. but he's certainly second on the bill isn't he yes yeah. absolutely uh he, he probably has just about uh, more screen time than, uh, of all people, Robert Lindsay, yeah. uh, who, yeah. who who pops up as as uh, Jim's earlier childhood friend Terry. Yeah, um, which we can talk about later. But yeah, so that was it. Took me a while to recognise him because it's such it's so yes. different to how we recognise the parts that he plays now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just going back to something you said earlier, so uh, I recognise that Ringo has always had this kind of earthiness to him. Do you think that... I still can't get my head around this idea that surely the kind of character he's playing this might have had some kind of shock element to it, though, when this film came out. Because this this film is... It is more adult in nature because Mm -hmm. of the subject matter, uh, or rather the, the, the tone, I guess, rather than the subject matter. And specifically the dialogue that he gets given. Like, in the first scene that he's in, um, he has some... Relatively spicy language, yes. Shall we say, yeah, um, yeah. Without getting too much into that, uh, and and it feels like it's a. I don't want to say, I don't want to say deliberate departure from the image that he probably would have had at this time as a Beatle, mm. but he must have realised, accepting this role, that it would have felt like a departure to that image, and it was doing something quite bold to an audience. Do you think? Well, I suppose, but I mean, so, uh, but then again. It's easy to forget that, I mean, 
And it, I know you're not talking about the sort of lovable mop top image because yeah. that's sort of 10 years prior to this. But I mean, even though the Beatles were sort of, you know, national treasures, I suppose, uh, and people kind of loved them and thought highly of them, th they had gone through such a public transformation over the mm. course of their career, you know, and that thing that, who was it that someone said to the Queen, uh, sorry, the Queen said to someone that the Beatles have gone awfully strange recently, haven't they, back mm -hmm. in 1967 or something like that when they yeah. all had moustaches, you know. And so the public were very well aware of the fact that they had, they were very, very different people, mm. you know. And by the time, you know, you watch Get Back and sort of by the time, you see the people talking in the street, you know, there. And um, there's a really nice mixture, you know, when they're playing the rooftop concert, there's a really nice mixture of people in the street. And some of them, there's like the old guy who's saying like, uh, yeah, like my, my, my daughter married a beetle, be fine. Oh, they've got money, aren't they? Lovely, like, lovely bunch of lads, aren't they? Like, and there are girls there who are like, oh, is this the Beatles? Oh, yeah, yeah, I like them. Yeah, I kind of prefer Manfred Mann, you know, but they're, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so like they are just like in the conversation and everyone kind of has an opinion. But I, I re you really get the sense that the country has grown up with them. Yeah, you know? I, I realise that I'm, I'm not accounting for a significant culture change that has happened since yeah. the top years. To later years. I just, yeah, yeah. I just, I can't shake this idea that the the Beatles weren't always held in the high regard that they are now, mm. uh, and and that what comes with that is a certain level of prestige. Yes, um, mm. but you're right. You know, that I think you're, you're you're probably right in the sense that the uh, you know society at the time would have recognised that they uh, have gone a little bit more rough and ready as people. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people would have been entirely unprepared for right. seeing Ringo do something like this. Would they have been unprepared for seeing his bum? Uh, I was unprepared for seeing his bum. <laughs> do we was think it, it was his bum or do we think it was a bum double? A, because... st a stunt bum? Yeah. Um, I don't know, actually. I forget how it was cut. Not the bum, the I, scene. Um, the, um, I, I rewound and, uh, right. a few times. <laughs> okay, um, right, good. I looked at it several times. Um, okay, yeah. I, it, it definitely looks like it could have very easily been a cutaway to a stunt bum. Oh, I see. Okay. There's certainly no connection between the bum and the face. <laughs> there's no connection. I certainly phrased that wrong. Not necessarily um, a connection. Yeah, no, between, like, between man and bum. There's right. no connection between man and bum. Okay. I mean, is there ever? Well. But, um, but the, the camera doesn't pan down or pan back up again or anything like that, where, where it's recognisably Ringo's body that is showing the bum. Right, okay. Um, but it's certainly there to titillate, right? You've got Ringo star in your field yeah. and you're showing what is supposed to be, whether it is or not, it's supposed to be his bum, bare naked bum on film. Yeah. Um, that that has to have, I don't know, got the due attention, which I'm sure it was angling for. Mm. Well, yeah. I guess. So, yeah, I suppose it would have been second uh, Beatle bum ever witnessed after yes. John yeah. and Yoko's Two Virgins cover. Yeah. Has anyone ever seen Paul or George's bum publicly? Not publicly. No. I mean, I'm sure someone's seen seen their bums in private. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and good luck to them, you know. <laughs> No, fair enough. Okay, but but it, I, do, I did think it was an interesting inclusion. That felt a little bit gratuitous to me because it was. Yes. Um, there was a, a, a one rare moment in the film. I, I I feel that that really tried to make hay of the fact that it had Ringo in it and was trying to and trying to do something titillating. Like I say. Yeah. With that. Yeah. With the rest of the film, then now that we covered the most important part, yeah, goes secondary character. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, we spoke before we started recording that I hadn't seen this film before. I'm aware of the film Stardust and the, 
the plot of that, yeah. which is is a much more it, there's a there's a much more accessible plot summary to that film, which is man gets becomes famous rock star goes off the rails. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was expecting this precursor to that to to be a bit more about well, actually to be very much similar to Nowhere Boy, which obviously we, we covered early mm. on in this season. Yeah, John Lennon, a, a like character. A rebellious teen ditches school and gets involved in music and what happens him along the journey to to doing that. That is not what the film is. The film is yeah. very much uh, telling a very different story to the extent that his interest in music is barely a thing. Yeah, yeah. It, feel, it feels like it's telling the story before the story you want to see. Yes. Almost, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if like recent. Yeah, like recently. Um, there's been a sort of trend in celebrity autobiographies where they, they release, I read John Cleese's autobiography and I listened to the audiobook of Lenny Henry's autobiography and uh, and they both end right when the bit that you really want to know about starts mm. because there's going to be a sequel. Who would do that, Mark Lewison? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> he? Yeah, setting his trend. <laughs> no, yeah, but, I, I mean, yeah, but, this idea of celebrities... Presumably being contracted into some kind of like three book deal um, to yeah. tell their actual life story. Yeah, 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 and uh, and they're they're very good books, and I enjoyed them. But you know, I, I was thinking, oh right, okay, this is the, the, the bit I really want to know about. It deliberately stops right before. Here's all the interesting stories about my career. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so this is quite similar in that it. I like you. I hadn't seen this before, and so I was expecting the tale of a guy who sort of already plays guitar yeah. and is trying to and is trying to make it or trying and failing to make it and then gets his big break towards the end of the film. Mm. But no, the end of the film is him buying his first guitar having decided to be in a band for the first time. Yeah, which is interesting because there's a, a claim made in our ever faithful research centre of IMDb trivia mm. that states that the film was loosely based on John Lennon's early life. Right. There, there isn't much to suggest that that's true other than uh, the fact that he was abandoned by his dad early on in the film. Like yeah. First scene in the film. But what the Jim McLean character does have is this sort of poetic sensibility. Like his writing and he's, he's writing poetry often throughout the film, but often that represents as him having like a voiceover narrative yeah. this is clearly a poem that he has written. So yeah. there's this idea that there's an artistic, sensitive and clearly very intelligent side to that character. Yep. And he is a fan of rock and roll at the yep. same time. But it just doesn't manifest in an interest in playing music. No, not you know, at all. He's, he has this sort of like, there's an artistic soul to the character. But, um, but yeah, in, in terms of, Relating it to John Lennon and and or relating it to the film that Stardust eventually gives us, uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like it's heading in that direction at any point in the film. No, not really. And and he seems because he, he he watches rock and roll shows a fair bit throughout yes. the film, and you know, and he obviously enjoys them. But he is only one. The last one he sees in the film, and the band are playing. It's one of the songs that Beatles went on to cover. Is it Slow Down? Maybe it's yeah, slow down. Is one of the Larry Williams ones slow down or bad? But no, it's slow down. I think. And um, he is, and, and he is noticing the women in the audience, mm. sort of go, like going for it, and you know, and that they're all sort of uh, like fancying the lead singer and stuff. 
and you know, I, I suppose you're supposed to think that that's a kind of turning point for him. But I was just thinking, but you've been going to these shows for yeah. like the last two years or however long this the narrative of this film has gone on, and 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 that has been happening the whole time. But you're only noticing it now. Yeah, you know? and also you'd expect in any of those shows for him to take an interest in the band as well. Like it's it's a little bit of yeah. an empty notion, I think, for for this idea to present itself at the end of the film whereby he's only interested in playing rock music because he's realised that girls go for rock stars. Mm. Like, it feels like there should be a little bit more groundwork laid there in terms of him actually liking the idea of being on stage and playing the music that he likes to listen to. Yeah, a passion but for none it. none of that comes through. No, that's true, you know. And I suppose, you know, in Nowhere Boy, um, you get... Well, I mean, the difference is like Nowhere Boy doesn't have... To, to work hard to make you believe that John Lennon was passionate about music because I mean a, a we know that already going in mm. uh, but B you know it's a, it, it's all there in, in in what he actually did you know it's sort of um, you know listening to Elvis in particular and those sort of early records and getting really really inspired by it you know and yeah that is not and, and wanting to learn how to play guitar and that that is not what Jim does in this film. Yeah. You know, he's a sort of music fan who then, like, towards the end of the film, seems to have come to the conclusion that he's going to try performing for the first time. Yeah, that this this film essentially is about a young guy who, over the course of the film, decides he just wants to have more and more sex with more women. Yeah, that's basically the the, the for want of a better word, thrust of the film. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but because there, because that is because and it, and the, you know what comes from that film, what comes from that part of the film is the idea of who he hurts along the way, yeah, and um, the relationship he forms, and and ultimately this ultimately this kind of realization that that he has and us an as an audience has, which is that it all stems from this sort of abandonment that he experienced as a child, yeah. But in terms of actual substance for the plot, it is basically him just getting on with more and more women. Yeah, is that fair? That's that's well, more or less, I suppose. You know, the, the, uh, there's the desire, I suppose, to be free and not to be tied down. That seems to be the main thing. So, like, you see that in him right from the start, where he's just kind of fed up at school, and he decides to sort of throw his school books in the river and just bunk off. Uh, th- this is the thing that it kind of culminates in in this thing. The whole film culminates. I mean, in um, his deciding to go off and and be a uh, be a rock and roller um but what he's done immediately before that is do the thing that his father did to him which was to walk out just because he is bored you know he's just bored of being a father he's bored of suburban life you know and and it's an odd thing that the film does i think because it it seems to be suggesting that that uh, it, you know that is because he's availed of a sort of libertine spirit in some way, and that's something to aspire to, maybe, you know. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think boredom is a, is a key theme there in the film, because that's mm. that's his motivator, isn't it? I, I think there's, there's this idea that he is such an intellectual spirit mm. that um, he is looking... He's looking for new challenges, but I guess that presents itself in opportunistic ways. So, yeah. like he, he's he's very quick to to sort of take on new jobs and and seize the best of a situation. I think even at the end, when someone's asking him if he still plays harmonica, he sort of makes out as if 
um, he has more music experience than he does in order to sort of, you know, seize that, that opportunity that he can see is coming. Mm. Because later on in the film, when he actually does settle down and get married, you get the sense that he's only doing that out of boredom because he hasn't experienced that before. You know, yeah, that's idea true. idea of being yeah. chased with his fiance as well because he doesn't want to, he doesn't, he doesn't, they don't have like any sort of real intimacy before the wedding. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's doing that because it's new to him and he just wants to see what that's like. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I suppose it's interesting. I mean, the, so the idea that this is based on John Lennon's life, I suppose you, you can see parallels. So mm-hmm. so the script is written by Ray Connolly, who's a, a, a Beatle author who we've uh, we've seen before. On, it's one of the talking heads in the Sergeant Pepper documentary that we featured last season. And... Um, He's the author, of, among other other books, the author of a book called uh, John Lennon, A Restless Life, which um, I haven't read myself, but it, G- Jim McLean appears to, appears to be living a, a restless life in that sense. Yes. Yes. That idea that he is always looking for something new and maybe has that kind of dilettantism that John always did, just sort of getting bored of things, quick, getting quite obsessed with things and then getting bored of them quickly and discarding them, yeah. you know. Yeah, so the, the, there do seem to be parallels between him and John. It's it, and you know, obviously the um, father leaving him as well is the, is the obvious thing. But and, yeah, and becoming a, a a husband and a young dad, I guess as well. You know, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's clearly a, a parallel there as well. Yeah. Do we think that? Um, I guess one of the things that I was surprised by the film, you, you know, going back, taking a step back, sorry. We mentioned earlier about how we thought the film was going to tell us a, a particular story and how it, you know, it subverted my expectations in mm. that way. I actually like the film more for doing that. I'm, I'm glad that it, it it took me somewhere unexpected and um, was telling, uh, was presenting me with a different kind of character that I wasn't expecting to see in a film like this. Mm. I think one of the ways that it does that is that the character starts off as very sympathetic, but ultimately becomes irredeemable. Yeah. You know, I guess how how do you feel about watching a film like that where you have a protagonist that is basically someone you you don't really feel like you can root for? Yeah, well, I mean, these days it's not not that unusual, is no, it, to have like, antiheroes at the center of things? But it, it, again, uh, it, you know, I hate to say it, but it, you know, let, let's be clear: Jim in this uh, rapes a girl, yeah, um, and he hits a woman. As well, he's gone back to her place for sex, and she has a she has a baby there which he didn't know, and he hits her and runs off. I hate to say it, but I wonder if in 1973 this would have been quite so irredeemable as character features. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. audiences would would have thought very differently about sexual politics in those days. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, you know, and I and I don't mean it means that everyone would have been completely okay with it, but it's it's probably. It's probably not quite the same thing. What you do have, though, is, and I kind of work through this in my head as I'm saying it, but what you do have is a relatively canny piece of casting uh, with Ringo as Mike, who then condemns that. Yeah. Uh, not the hissing, but the rape. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. What, what we know and would recognise in that film as rape, but I guess mm. how the film presents it, as made in 1973, as taken advantage of a young schoolgirl. Yes. But you have Ringo, who he's always going to have the audience on his side, mm. acting as a voice of conscience in that moment, saying, you know, like, you went too far, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I, I think, there. so there's a, even if uh, an audience view 
might be different in Odyssey 3 is now you still have good old Ringo on side there to tell the audience exactly what they should be thinking at that moment and, and making sure that everyone is aware that if Ringo thinks it's bad, it's it's definitely a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, he's a good moral barometer, isn't he? You know, <laughs> always uh, is. Uh, you can tell that, uh, but I like the fact that um, like Ringo's having like sort of chiding him for what he's just done. And and uh, Jim responds by saying, "Well, you're no bloody Jesus," which, which is a great <laughs> yes, line. Yeah. That kind of thing, like yeah. these days, I like the fact that you just it, you, normally you would say something like Mother Teresa or something like that, or just someone someone who's supposed to be like a complete paragon of virtue. Yeah, he's just gone straight for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Just an odd line, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You going back to the scene with the young mother. Um, yep. who has the baby in, in the room the crying baby thing that happens in this film mm. did you pick up on this it's very I feel like it's, it's quite overt and a bit forced and yeah. weird yeah it's supposed to be a trigger for him right yeah. after you know the abandonment but, um, it, but it happens it happens it feels like it happens at every key decision um, in his life so I don't know whether the first girl the, the first sex scene in the film the first girl that um, he sleeps with in, in the movie is supposed to be him losing his virginity but there's you know it's certainly, it? it's certainly mm-hmm. similar experience in the sense of how it's portrayed in the film right, right okay it's very sort of clumsy he's, he seems like he doesn't know what he's doing there's, you know it's yeah. very quickly etc yeah. there was a crying baby next door in the in the yeah next to that yeah there's the, the crying baby in that room uh, when he hits that woman, that feels like that's the catalyst for him then returning home. Because um, mm. that's what happens in the next scene is, is him going back to his mum's house. And, and it happens about four or five times in the film. There's yeah. a crying baby even um, in the foreground to their wedding. And there's a, a mum putting the young child up from the floor. And so, so oh, yeah. it happens yeah. a lot in the film. And, and I yeah. feel like it's, in some ways, it's, 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 uh, the way that it's used is quite, naturalistic so i would say it's, it's used quite cleverly mm. but it's not subtle no like the, the you know it's, it's quite done in a very heavy-handed way and it's done so frequently that it feels like by the end of the by the end of the film you're like okay i get it <laughs> like you know crying <laughs> babies yeah, this yeah. is all about him being young and losing his daddy and, and stuff but I, I guess there's a there's a certain amount of respect i, I still have for, for them trying to incorporate some uh, some sort of recurring motif, audio motif in the film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, because it is cause it's quite disjointed in that way that I think just a lot of kind of 70s cinema was when they were sort of getting out of that era of everyone having definitely been stage actors and, you know, sort of oddly short scenes. That sort of reminds me of Serpico, actually, the way that... um Serpico is, which may be even the same year or around about the same time, 73, 74, that kind of thing, it was very kind of disjointed in terms of the way it's lots and lots of short scenes over and over again. And also you get bits in Serpico where he just sort of turns up at the precinct and you get just from his hair and clothes and stuff that a year or two has passed, you know. And, yeah, um, yeah. It happens in um, that'll be the day as well, where you get this thing where he's just suddenly working in Butlins, like they haven't told you that this is a, th- a job he's applied for or anything, you know. And so, because you get this sl- slightly odd staccato rhythm to things, it's quite hard to kind of 
uh, feel like the character is being sort of properly established. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's kind of like you're seeing like these little extracts from his life. You're not quite seeing him develop, and so I suppose the crying baby things is a sort of attempt at a through line. Which yeah, I agree. It is like it should be commended for trying to do something like that. Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't quite pull it off. I yeah, think. I completely agree. In- interestingly, what you're saying there about the uh, the disjointed nature of the film, I, I do. I would argue that that helps lend itself to this idea of of him feeling quite isolated as mm. a as a character. Yeah, I think if you if you understood those joins more, the character and the film itself becomes a more comfortable experience, and I don't think it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's probably some thought that, that goes into how that's been presented. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, what did you think of David Essex uh, as you know in lead as a performance? Because I, I was really impressed with, with that. I, I think. Oh yeah, it's very good. Yeah. I think there are layers that he brings to to that where he's in his quieter moments. Uh, I feel like he's actually doing some good business with the character and um, mm. delivering some sort of. He, I think he's being sensitive to what the film is trying to say about the character at the time he delivers that well. Yeah, I think so. But I suppose it's from. I, I don't know that much about David Essex, but I, I, but he, I, I don't think he is a pop star turned actor. He is he was sort of already an actor, mm. or at least he was he was a, he was a song and dance man. He was already doing West End musicals and things right. like that. Sure. So it's um, so it's not quite the same thing as oh, this is a pop star, and it turns out yeah. he's quite a good actor as well. You know, um, but yeah, I think his performance is very good. He, he's um, there's a lot of you know it could go down that sort of disaffected youth yeah. path but actually there's a lot of that almost 70s kitchen sink element to it where you do get a fair few scenes where we're not not loads is happening mm. you know there's there's a fair bit of like when he goes to whatever seaside town it is uh, I don't know where it's supposed to be, but I know it was filmed in Shanklin in Isle of Wight. Yeah, if you've ever been to, it's a lovely village. I, I, I've been oh, there most years. Yeah. Oh, really? It's really, really lovely. I was, I was um, overjoyed when I read that that was where it was filmed. It was unrecognisable from, oh, from okay. as much as you think of Isle of Wight not changing much over the years, but right. I, I certainly didn't recognise it on screen. But when I found out that that's where it was filmed, like that's specifically the Isle of Wight where I like to go because it's a really lovely vintage cottagey type um, part of the. Oh, oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah did, did, 
they don't say where it's supposed to be. I don't think, no, but I, you know, I presume sort of Brighton or Margate yes. or, or whatever that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, he he is kind of standing, just sort of looking out to sea, basically. You know, and and you know, he's got to do a bit of. Um, he's got to give you the impression that he is a sort of frustrated intellectual. Yeah. So there's been a bit of characterization up to that point. Like we know he's bright because, you know, the teacher catches him daydreaming and asks him a question to catch him out. And he, he like, he answers it perfectly. And so we know that like, aha, he's, he's intelligent, but just not in the way that teachers want him to be, you know, it's a natural intelligence. It's not, you know, but there's a rebellious spirit in there too. Yeah, so we know this about him. So yeah, he he has to convey quite a lot, and he does have quite a lot of scenes where he's largely on his own, you know. Mm. And you know, he's he's got to convey that th- just through physical business, and he does a very good job of it, I think. It's it's interesting you say that because that that scene at the start, with him answering that teacher's question so well, that is a moment that everyone likes to see on screen, mm-hmm. right? Or, yeah, like, yeah, you know, like you know, the older, more grumpy adults trying to show up someone and then getting. Um, his comeuppance kind of thing mm. so he, immediately in that first scene I feel like he wins you over but it's an interesting character arc isn't it going back to what we were saying before where he, you know he does have our sympathy we are rooting for him at that point but mm. actually the character arc is for him becoming someone that we really dislike and <laughs> you know again to, bringing it back to uh, what we're really here for uh, in the Beatles when you mentioned before about Ringo being a good moral barometer mm. He says, Ringo says something like, I thought I was a bastard, but you. Um, <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. is great. But also, uh, if there was ever a point where you felt that Jim McLean was irredeemable as a character, <laughs> other than the time where he rapes that schoolgirl. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's that. There's yeah. that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ringo says, you went too far. Mm. It's when he sees Ringo getting beaten up and doesn't do anything to stop him. Yeah. His audience at that time was like, you bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because in 1973, that would have landed much more probably as yes. a, this is a bad guy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, right? Yeah. So like didn't, you, didn't help his mate and, in a and fight. It was, yeah. And it really um, speaks of that opportunism that we spoke about earlier where mm. like he's, he basically saves his own skin yeah. and then immediately gets his mate's job yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. Like yeah. he's going to well for him. Yeah. It's, but what a, it's just, it's, it's an interesting that a film of this era, I think it, it feels a very modern approach to, to, to this kind of story where you are following a character that only really goes down a sort of a dark path that you don't want it to follow and that's where it ends. Yeah. Yeah, but it, yeah, I think um, the, the, and R- Ringo actually, um, when you see him getting beaten up, that's the last you see of him. Yeah. So like he hasn't been killed, but he has been. We're told like he's been beaten up fairly badly, and he won't be at work for a while. And then uh, Jim gets his job, and you never see him again. And actually, I was left uh, feeling like he he got sort of pretty short shrift, really. Like yeah. I I really wanted to see more of him. Uh, but I, I don't mean you know, more than his, his bum, you know. Uh, but like, you know, <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to see, <laughs> I, I wanted to see more, you know, more of him, more of his performance, more of his you presence. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's a scene where they're playing snooker and they're talking, and Ringo has this sort of monologue about being brought up in an orphanage. And he, and so he, you know, he's he's play, he's taking shots, or he's watching Jim take shots, and then he's taking shots himself while he's delivering all this. And I, I just think there is a real 
style to his delivery where um, people have always talked about he has this sort of hangdog expression that, you know, his his resting face is a, is a naturally sad one, yeah. you know, uh, which is, you know, incredibly endearing. Uh, but I also think he kind of brings that to his acting where he he can deliver this dialogue and it's, it's quite a sad story um but, but he's, he's kind of delivering it in a way that there's a sort of pathos behind it you know mm-hmm. and a bit like a well, sort of sylvester stallone or something like that you know like when stallone came first came along there were people talking about him you know that performance first performance in rocky is sort of uh, sort of brando-esque in that mm-hmm. in that you know the um star stallone brando uh axis you know which is <laughs> well known um you, you think about that you know those three actors they're not terribly expressive actors but they but you know there's something going on there, there is a sadness behind them do you know yeah. what i mean yeah, and you, the pathos you, is definitely yeah yeah a, a key element of that i think yeah there were some moments as well where because of that i think because of how he, he because of what his screen presence is like particularly because of this sort of uh, hang-dog-like expression that you say, I always expect him to be able to do that quite well on those scenes. I think yeah. his delivery of that monologue while they're playing ball is, is, is particularly brilliant. Mm. But um, but him being able to sort of have those pop, puppy dog eyes and, and bring this sadness is a good... I actually really enjoyed seeing him a bit more swagger in this film. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a great moment where he picks up two girls at the women um, playing mini-golf and um, deliberately hits his golf ball towards them and then, like, does this like faux thing that's just to himself, where he's like, "Oh, damn," you know. And then, like, and then, like, literally, like, swaggers over. Um, yeah. And then they'd be like, you know, "Can you jive?" And he's like, "Can we jive?" And he does a little twist and stuff. And it's just, it just has this, this idea of there be, him being like a bold, cocky uh, young fella. Yeah. Uh, at that point, it's, it's really endearing to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lovely. There's always a lovely kind of style to his acting. I like, you know, the, the swagger thing is nice. I, I know exactly what you mean. There's there's a bit in Hard Day's Night where I think the the rest of them are sort of uh, are ragging on him, him about whatever it is, and John goes temper temper, and Ringo goes well like that, <laughs> but it, but he interrupts him as well, like so he's they're not just speaking lines to each other, like he's already understands acting well enough to know that people interrupt each other and talk over each other a yes. bit, and and he's that's interesting, and he's yeah. doing that, you know, and he's so he's he's kind of always ha- had that element to him but yeah no you're right it's nice to see a, a, a different side of him you know mm. there's a bit where like isn't he like he's dancing with the girl and then they go and sit down they're like they lose the it's one of those dance competitions where you get voted off until yeah. the last dancer's standing you know and uh they get uh, they get voted off and they have to go and sit down and she says oh i thought you could thought you said you could dance like that and like what does he say to her it's like i remember when they sit down um, and she asks for a drink, and she says, and a packet of crisps, and he, like, walks off on muttering to himself, going, God, what's the world? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it, it is, it is, um, uh, it, it's a really, really impressive performance, I think, by Ringo in this film. I think that going into this, I, I knew that this was supposed, this was a film that was generally regarded as being... Uh, or featuring one of his best performances yeah. in, in his acting career. Yeah. Um, but I really wasn't prepared for 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 this from him. I think it was um, uh, it's, it's really, it's really just a particularly naturalistic performance from him that I just didn't realise he was capable of. Honestly, because yeah. if you think about um, the, the thing about his acting career is like I, I'm aware that he he did all these films in the seventies, Ringo, 
and I've, I've seen very few of them, you know. But you know, obviously, because of this, we're gonna we're gonna end up watching all of them sooner yeah, or later. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'd be a dereliction of duty not to, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, but this is the thing. But it kind of makes me realise that actually, I don't really know a lot about his life post Beatles. I'm so I'm aware of the broad strokes um, that he uh, the the alcoholism and then eventually meeting Barbara. Um, and sort of uh, cleaning himself up and getting, you know, and getting healthy, you know. But uh, other than that, you know, it, it just makes me think that the thing that Beatles uh, cinema, the thing that Beatles film and TV is really missing is, is a good, well-made Ringo documentary. I'd be really fascinated mm-hmm. to see that. Like the um, like the Scorsese's Harrison documentary, yeah, that, similar, similar kind of thing to that. Would be. That kind of thing, yeah. Because, like I say, I mean, you know, the thing I, I was talking about with him being the sort of Beatles audience surrogate is like I think he's a really significant figure in that sense. It's yeah. it, it's such a fascinating thing to have a man who, you know, it, he's it, unfairly maligned as untalented, which is ridiculous, yes. which is ridiculous, yeah. but. Uh, but the idea of you know everyone in the Beatles, the other three Beatles, speak of him so highly, and it's and it's not out of sympathy because they want you know that you know because it's like oh we don't want to say anything bad about Ringo but you know he's just he just sits in the corner kind of thing you know yeah. they they all absolutely loved him and the the spirit and the kind of like social cohesion he brought to that group mm. it, it is like not to be underestimated at all. And the the whole thing would not have happened without him, you know. And I don't mean not just in the same way. I mean it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. It, it and you know, I th- and I think that is a really interesting figure. You know, we've spoken before about ways to do stories about slight kind of outsider figures. You know, we're, we're talking about how to do the Pete Best story as the, the kind of nearly man story. You know? Yeah. And and Ringo being a, a figure who someone who was generally seen as being sort of quite closely attached to uh, something magnificent. But, uh, and, and I think people would probably mistakenly think that he didn't participate much in it. Mm. And I think that's a part of his story that should be told and told well. You know. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to force myself to stop making the point that I make on most of these podcasts about how if you're going to do a biopic, it needs to come, uh, it needs to be story-led first so mm. there needs to be a point to the biopic and the and and for there to be some kind of conflict and resolution which is why the pete best conversation we had on an earlier episode makes sense because mm. there is a natural conclusion um that 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 reaches yeah um, and an interesting and he because of of how close he came to being the beatles that in his in, in of itself is an interesting story to tell yeah uh, i can see how ringo has one as well as being a Anyway, we talk about this, it sounds like we're doing him a disservice. Yeah, I don't want to say that um, he's a spectator in the band, but you know what I mean by him. Not uh, he, he was the only one of the four that that isn't regarded as a genius songwriter. Right. Yeah. Right. So in that respect, he was there in a room with the, these, these three songwriters and working with them and being the heart of the band that we know he was. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is an interesting story. He's like the everyman way in gateway into uh, yeah. what it would have been like for as, as enormous as, as the enormously talented as he was for uh, anyone who wasn't like a genius songwriter level person to mm. be in the same room as that while that was all happening no he's a relatable figure isn't yes. he you yeah, know yeah. He's, he, he's he's your way in 
to sort of to, to thinking to yourself like you know oh i i could have been in this band you know and it's just so no. likable with it as well like, yeah, and, and yeah. To, to the extent that when you you could easily assume that the beatles could have been a band oh like john lennon paul mccartney and george harrison could have been in a band together where if it wasn't for ringo Starr, they would have cycled through many drummers yeah because those drummers would have got frustrated at not um I don't know, not being in the same on the same level as them. But Ringo right. never felt particularly resentful about his position in the band. No, and he's uh, and he's you know, and so uh, yeah, I think other drummers would have thought of themselves as like, well, you know, I'm just a sideman here, yes. and I've just, so I've got to back back these guys up. But nobody's really interested in anything I've got to say. Um, whereas a, a big part of particularly when they their initial fame, and particularly when they broke America, is um, Ringo plays such a key part in those early press conferences yeah. you know that first one at, at the airport when they get to new york uh that that press conference it's mainly based around him you know he is yeah. the, he, he is the the it, he's the main sort of comedian it is a comedy turn that is being done there yeah. they are they are doing a group stand-up comedy routine essentially and he's leading it you know and it is a big part of everyone falling in love with them you know yeah and um, uh, and because it's so relatable and such a, a nice sort of figure in that um, uh, in that story of the Beatles, and you know we, we talk about this quite often, but that moment in Get Back where he just basically um, offhandedly comments that he'd quite happily sit and watch Paul McCartney play McCartney play <laughs> piano for hours yeah. um, is just a really nice moment. I, I really love that because yeah. he genuinely means it. He's got such respect um, and, and love for his fellow band members. Yeah, but you're right, like an actual documentary that would do a deep dive into his life as a Beatle and then what happens to him and, and his career and his choices post the breakup yeah. would be really fascinating to watch yeah absolutely yeah I, you know I just think like there's such a lovely scene that where he says that about Paul you know oh, I could watch him all day or whatever yeah um because that's what we're doing as well, like yeah. we 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 have watched Paul McCartney play the piano for like the last eight hours, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and yeah. and you know, and and we feel the same way. You know, it's like oh, I could just watch him do this all day. You know, and and so that's what I mean. It's like he, he he's your way in. He's the guy in the room who thinks the same way you do, and, and you know, he's just all all the more relatable and all the more lovable for that. You know, and I think yeah, just a really interesting figure who I think would be well served by a, a good, well made documentary. Or even feature film. Forget the John Lennon approach, which we've, we've tackled a few times already. Yeah. Do a biopic of the Beatles where Ringo is the star of that that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have to watch that. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we talk about? There aren't many, I don't think, unless you have surprises for me. But should we talk about other Beatles connections that this film has? Uh, sure. So there is one in particular I wanted to call out straight away because I don't know, I don't really know the full extent of uh, the connection, but it's worth pointing out, I think, that the film is supposedly based on a song by Harry Nilsson called 1941, where the lyrics are about a, uh, a dad who leaves a boy in the first verse and the, the next verses are about him joining the circus and meeting women and then settling down. And the last verse is is him leaving his own young son and this idea of the cyclical nature of, of, of life. 
Apparently, the film is at, is based on that song. Obviously, they swap out surfers for affair. Mm-hmm. Um, but Harry Nilsson obviously has connections to the Beatles, right? He became a friend of John Lennon later on after the Beatles. And yeah, that's right. A sort of arguable one of the people who has a, a claim to the title Fifth Beatle. I would sometimes wow. just, there's just, so many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes. It's our turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to be on the list somewhere, surely. <laughs> Uh, me first, obviously. Um, and uh, he was sometimes described as the American Beatle, I think. they. Uh, uh. And um, so he was one of the crowd uh, that were known as Hollywood vampires who Lennon uh, was hanging out with during the Lost Weekend in Los Angeles. So it's him and Nielsen, Ringo, Keith Moon, who's also in this oh, film. Of course, I'm talking about Keith, yeah. And uh, Alice Cooper, probably some other people as well. Um so, yeah, so they were just a sort of big drinking crowd. John produced one of Nielsen's albums. Ah, great. Yeah, so I think that that's broadly the connection. So, yeah, I'm not sure how much Ray Connolly based the scripts on that song. But, but yeah, I mean, the parallels are obvious. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like it was a um, like a mandate for the script, you know, um, to, to create a spec script based on the, the story that Harry Nielsen sings in that song, mm. rather than it being sort of like a, 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 a direct influence in that way it's yeah. almost like oh this is good enough to be a film someone write that script right yeah. um, and then Ray Conleyman comes along and, and presumably then at that point starts basing some elements on John Lennon yeah. interesting though isn't it I, I do like these kind of like mini connections that we find in these things so Harry Nielsen John Lennon and Ringo Starr used to hang out as part of the Hollywood Vampires crowd yeah. and that also featured Keith Moon who is also in this film yep and Robert Lindsay no not Robert Lindsay <laughs> <laughs> That would have been good. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Keith Moon is in it, is, and you know he's barely in it. Um, yeah. he's, he's in the same band as uh, a young Billy Fury. Yep. Uh, Rory in the Storm. Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. That was it. There we go. Yeah. Um, they seem, yeah, they seem to be because ba- he's sort of blonde as Rory Storm was, and he seemed to be basing that band on that. Because also, like Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, Ringo played with them in Butlins oh. a lot. Course. You know, so yes, that was the, that was their their main thing. I, know, uh, I completely missed that entire connection. Of course, yeah. So yeah, so that that thing where when they wanted Ringo to come and join, uh, yeah. come and join the Beatles after they got rid of Pete Best, that uh, that odd line that he says in in the anthology, which he puts loads of stress on, he says, you know, and I said to them like, well, I can't join you now. Like, I've got a gig, you know. I'll join you Saturday. It's like, right, okay. So you mean three three days after they ask? Okay, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not it's not that dramatic, you know. But that but that gig he's talking about is is a Butlin's residency that he had with Rory Storm right. and the Hurricanes. Oh, wow, yeah. amazing. Okay, that's that's interesting. I had no idea about that, and yeah. I, you know, I even failed to make the Rory Song connection. So um, yeah. you, it's also brilliant. You then so you then have Keith Moon presumably playing the Ringo Starr part. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in that he does a lovely bit of business on the drums as well. Yeah, really. really Goes hard on them. Yeah, quite fun to see. Yeah, but oh, okay, yeah. So that's the you do have surprises for me with the Beatles connections. I only had one more, right? Which is in the early diner scene. There's a song playing on the jukebox. Yep. Did you hear that? Did you recognise that? You did, didn't you? Raunchy. Yes. Yes. So of uh, George auditioning on the bus, fame. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm annoyed. I thought I was. Gonna <laughs> there were actually more clear Beatles references then I, I obviously come to realise yep. uh, obviously we're forgetting, forgetting the main one but it doesn't need to be said that Bass Will Be The Day is, a, is obviously a, a song that the Beatles themselves covered yeah. or rather Quarrymen covered as well initially uh, yeah yeah, that's right um, but yeah 
so all in all, uh, a film that definitely is worthy of inclusion on this list of films that we talk about on this podcast. Yeah, I think I think we justified it at least, you know, like, <laughs> exactly, uh, which yeah. is you know more you more than we've done the previous ones. You bring it in, it wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you have uh, anything else to um, to mention or to talk about? That will be the day. Uh, no, I think that will be all. Hey, I was pleased I think, with that. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> if you have watched That'll Be The Day and want to share your views on it, please get in touch with us on all the usual social media platforms at Beatles Films Pod. You can tell us what you thought of Ringo Starr's performance, what you think of the film generally, or what you think of Ed's comment just there saying <laughs> That'll Be All. Uh, otherwise, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast or any of our other episodes, uh, please feel free to write us a review. We don't have enough reviews. Say nice things about us. It will be uh, much appreciated. Thank you. Otherwise, we will catch you again for another episode next week. See you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.